Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. It's an all-80s episode of the Classy Comics Podcast. We start out by getting daring with the daring new adventures of Supergirl, Volume 2. And then we uh, move from our classy showcase to looking at the Crisis on Infinite Earths Deluxe Companion Volume 2 and Thing Classic Volume 1 straight ahead. Welcome to the Classy Comics Podcast, where we search for the best comics in the universe. From Boise, Idaho, here is your host, Adam Graham. Well, we start out with our classy showcase piece, The Daring Adventures of Supergirl, Volume 2. And these collect the last pre-crisis Supergirl comics. And it continues from The Daring New Adventures of Supergirl, Volume 1. However, by the second issue of the book, the uh, series has just been renamed to Supergirl. However, they keep the daring new in the trade title because that is actually a really cool title. Uh, And so this begins where the last volume left off, and Superman arrives to find uh, the Fortress of Solitude in uh, shambles, and uh, Supergirl uh, walks out, Uh, with a new outfit, and uh, it's essentially a cape. It connects to the S symbol, and it it looks like a really uh, solid costume. And uh, Superman seems a little bit uh, nonplussed about the whole thing, and she alleges that it's because Superman is just a stodgy traditionalist which may very well be, but he's a little bit concerned about why the Fortress of Solitude is in shambles. And that ties into the previous book, where uh, Supergirl had fought uh, miniature clone versions of herself uh, that had been unleashed by a supervillain. And uh, she had won and depowered them. 
but wreck the fortress in the meantime. And once that's explained to Superman, he's cool with that, and he'll go ahead and fix up the fortress. So Supergirl flies uh, out for a lovely visit with her Earth parents. It's just a sweet and fun scene, but evil is stirring as Black Star arises. She is a supervillainess who is stirring up hatred and anti-Semitism. And the previous volume, uh, we had uh, seen... The landlady of Linda Danvers having a swastika painted on her door. And we learn that it was neo-Nazis that this uh, supervillain Black Star, she's the one who's behind it. And Black Star ends up kidnapping her mother and revealing that she resented her and uh, that... Uh, she blamed her for abandoning her by her being taken away uh, to die with the other children. And she pleaded for her life and pretended that they'd made some mistake. And it amused the commandant of the camp who uh, put her aside and spared her. And she did eventually get out of the camp, get an education, and end up solving equations uh, in the uh, cosmic realm that had eluded Einstein. But she turned it to evil and to power and to avoiding being a victim uh, at all costs, even victimizing others. And she's about actually to kill her own mother when Supergirl shows up to uh, fight her. And so she resolves to take care of Supergirl once and for all, but they can't do it uh, in on Earth, so she takes her off to this cosmic realm where they have just a fantastic uh, fight. I should mention the art in this is by Carmine Infantino, uh, probably best known for his work on The Flash, and it's just an absolutely gorgeous uh, fight scene. Uh, you know, great colors, you know, very, very imaginative. Uh, just a, a wonderful uh, fight scene, and it does end up with a bittersweet conclusion. Uh, we also get um, a story where she meets up with Ambush Bug, a truly absurd character introduced in the pages of DC Comics Presents, uh, Superman's uh, Team Over book, uh, started out as a supervillain, became something of a hero, and he's kind of... Uh, transitioning to that here, though Supergirl insists on capturing him and sending him back to prison because he'd been convicted for some of his villainous activities. And after he's arrested by the police, uh, he actually uh, identifies her in her civilian identity because he can tell that she's wearing a wig and is really just Supergirl. It's funny, and it's funny that Ambush Bug is the one who spots this. In her next adventure, her professor, who is also uh, having her help with uh, type down his uh, manuscript, is kidnapped, and she introduces a new solution to replace the wig. In fact, by applying a chemical to her hair, and then uh, combing it with a special comb, she's able to cause it to go from blonde to brunette and back again. This is one aspect of the original Supergirl that I don't miss, uh, that they had the whole wig thing and the hair-changing color thing. Uh, 
but I think this is, you know, a good solution given that uh, she's this brilliant alien from another world. Then we get Supergirl's split life, where essentially Supergirl is unable to remember her identity of Linda Danvers, and Linda Danvers is going on living her life uh, without Supergirl. And it's a nice mystery. It has a somewhat silly solution, but it definitely fits well with the era and with the character. We also get a battle with the parasite, and it's a parallel uh, issue in that uh, Superman actually battled the Parasite over an action comics uh, while uh, he was in the process of going to uh, meet her. It's a shame that this uh, edition doesn't opt to reprint that action comics book. Thankfully, I was able to read it because I have the DC Universe app and it really complements this one nicely. Superman actually had set out before the whole Parasite thing came along to invite Supergirl to Midvale for a celebration of her 25th anniversary uh, on Earth. It's a nice gesture and they have all the great superhero teams showing up to celebrate and even the White House. After this, she and Superman team up to fight the Kryptonite Man. Then we run into an interesting situation where her boyfriend is lying uh, to her about what he's been doing with his time. And she is upset about the, the lies and the dishonesty, and he won't reveal what's going on. And she is kind of wondering how to trust him, wherein he's got this entirely separate life, uh, you know, as Linda Danvers. And I'm kind of like, uh, I, I don't think she's seen the problem with her problem because of secret identity and things of that sort. And uh, then uh, he run she runs into a real problem as her professor realizes that he is some manifestation of a man from one million years in the future. And he mutates into this highly evolved, very dangerous being who Supergirl has to fight. And this one is a solid enough comic. It's weird, it's funny, and it's enjoyable. And I can say the same thing about most of the book. It's not perhaps a top book, but it is a lot of fun to read. Uh, these comics were published right before you get to uh, Supergirl's uh, big death in the Crisis on Infinite Earths. So as a big uh, final bow for the character, I think that this book is really quite fun. And again, the art by Carmine uh, Infantino, really just fantastic. Then we move on to Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, Companion Deluxe Edition Volume 2. And this collects all of the big tie-ins to uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth. The book starts out with an issue of Detective Comics and an issue of Batman. And these were really off doing their own things. And, you know, kind of the crisis was, uh, you know, intruding into that. And it's so much off on its own thing. I think Batman in particular... Uh, was just like right between plot points 
that they just kind of call out some of the things that uh, are happening. Uh, so I wasn't too impressed with uh, those. Uh, then you get uh, an issue of DC Comics Presents uh, featuring Supergirl. And uh, there are dealing with the crisis, wondering what might have caused it. And Supergirl sees Blackstar out there and concludes that Blackstar may be behind it. And I, I think that there's some quick thinking uh, on Supergirl's part as she uh, makes some decisions. And Superman, I think probably the biggest flaw of the pre-crisis Superman is that he just doesn't listen to anybody. At least that's how it's portrayed in this uh, particular comic. Then we get to an oversized special for the uh, losers. A uh, group of war comic heroes who do become involved in the crisis and face their end before the war uh, comes to an end. It's a fitting close for them. Then we have a story that was written uh, nearly 15 years after uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, but tied into it. Marv Wolfman, who is the chief writer of the uh, Maxi series, had the idea, you know, since you're restarting the DC universe, to uh, change the uh, characters and their uh, racial composition to make the DC Universe more diverse. That didn't happen, and to be honest, I'm not really a big fan of that sort of approach to uh, improving the uh, diversity of uh, comics. I think you are, you know, I think most of the times it's been tried, it hasn't stuck, it hasn't worked out. I think uh, it is far better uh, to uh, produce a, a situation where you create good characters, make them good to read, and insert them into the existing universe. I think the attempts to provide uh, diversity in this sort of artificial manner just generally haven't worked out too well. And it always ends up in the comics going back to the status quo. That said... Uh, they decided to allow Marv Wolfman to write about that sort of world uh, with Legends of the DC Universe, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, number one, which is set during the middle of the crisis where heroes from Earth-1 and some of the other Earths comes to a place called Earth-D, uh, where you do have a lot of different people filling the roles of... Superman and and other uh, characters. For example, Superman is black, Wonder Woman is Native American. And if the book had just been uh, these sort of, you know, very artificial changes, I don't think it would have been all that interesting. However, I really have to give credit to Marv Wolfman in his story. He does give them just a lot of uh, character and makes you connect and like these uh, characters because of the way they are written, even though we only know them for like 50 pages. And he doesn't just tamper with uh, the racial dynamics. For example, the bat of this Earth, Earth D, is this very committed family man. And Batman of Earth 1 just doesn't get some of his reactions and the way that he approaches things it's very different from 
the typical uh, Batman, even of the pre-Crisis era. The characters of Earth D are really noble and heroic. And even though you know from the outset that their Earth is sadly doomed, you still uh, feel sad as it happens to them. So I, I found that a pretty clever, enjoyable uh, story. Uh, then we get to what makes up the bulk of this book, uh, which is uh, uh, Infinity Incorporated uh, and the last uh, Justice League crossover. Infinity Incorporated uh, was uh, created by uh, Roy Thomas, and uh, we, uh, we talked in the, when we discussed the first volume about how he wrote the All-Star Squadron about the Earth 2 Justice Society and other heroes created in DC Comics and other acquired books. Well, Infinity Incorporated was about the, the kids of the original Justice Society and other uh, characters. And it's run by the original uh, Star Spangled Kid, who hasn't aged much. They're known as the Infinitors. And they were denied membership in the Justice Society when they applied. And I guess it's kind of like the Justice Society viewing themselves as like senior senator of superheroes or something of that sort. Though they did have some younger members. At any rate, this is, it took me a little while to get into just because the uh, crisis stuff started right in the middle of some crossover stuff that was going on uh, in Infinity Incorporated. And it covers, you know, quite a few uh, events uh, that happened in um, uh, in in the course of this, uh, one thing that you do have is you get the last Justice League, uh, Justice Society crossover, and I was a little less than impressed with that, because Infinity Incorporated got led uh, from Earth 2 to Earth 1 to attack the Justice League, uh, who they said were a bunch of imposters. And you could see why Infinity Incorporated would believe that, because uh, essentially uh, they had, uh, the Justice League, had moved to Detroit and were headed by the Martian Manhunter and didn't contain the marquee heroes that had uh, defined them other than Martian Manhunter. And because Infinity Incorporated attacked the Justice League, uh, they were able to take their headquarters. But it turns out that this is all because Commander Steel is, thinks that his uh, grandson is weak and needs to be taught a lesson. And uh, so this is all just because of him. And the crossover with the Justice Society comes when the Justice League responds by calling them and bringing them uh, in uh, to deal with Infinity Incorporated, though it just turns out to be Commander Steel. And it's a weird response from the Justice, uh, from the Justice League uh, and doesn't speak well to their composition at the time where, okay, Infinity Incorporated attack, we're, we're calling their moms. <laughs> um, 
that uh, that wasn't a particularly great finale to that whole series of events. Uh, we do get some interesting things in here. We get um, a new Wildcat, Our Man, and Dr. Midnight. Uh, and they're introduced, I think, in a pretty uh, natural way. Uh, because all of those heroes are a lot older. And uh, at some point, you have to uh, pass on the mantle. And if you've got a series where characters age, uh, that definitely makes it easier to make changes. Because uh, uh, Our Man is the son of the original Our Man, but Wildcat and uh, Dr. Midnight um, are actually uh, female uh, ca uh, characters, um, one Hispanic, one uh, black, uh, who happen to admire the originals who don't have any kids of their own. And they're both really, uh, they're good characters, though I think we get to know Dr. Midnight a lot more because we see an accident that uh, cost her her sight, but then she discovers that she has similar powers to Dr. Midnight, uh, the original, who did actually perform a surgery on her. We also get uh, Green Lantern's marriage to Harlequin. And this was uh, something uh, Harlequin, the Harlequin uh, was, uh, not to be confused with Harley Quinn, was one of uh, Green Lantern's uh, arch foes during the Golden Age. So this is, you know, Roy Thomas kind of wrapping things up. I do think that Roy Thomas in many ways was just this very, very successful, in the best modern sense of the word, geek, who uh, found himself in the 1980s able to write about the favorite, his favorite characters from when he was a kid and be able to go into details about what happened to them and uh, what happened to their kids and how they got married. And there is this joy that comes across in this. Uh, and then you also get some direct tie-ins uh, right into the middle of uh, Crisis, uh, where you have uh, another uh, a couple characters, in this case the new Hour Man and Dr. Midnight, uh, going to deal with the sudden appearance of historical figures as reality breaks down. Uh, they're dealing with uh, the appearance of uh, people from the Civil War. And uh, you also have uh, uh, Solomon Grundy uh, being involved in trying to stop the crisis. So you have heroes and villains uh, joining together, and you get to see some of that actually reflected in the book and uh, overall i didn't like this quite as much as all-star squadron there's a bit of 80s angst in it but i still think this this one writes uh this one writes uh, well worth the read and again roy thomas just has this such great love for these characters that comes through then uh the book wraps up with uh two issues of the new t uh, teen titans um, and I, I guess 
this is actually a volume two of the new Teen Titans. And I was kind of surprised by this because I do have the DC Universe app and was looking up, trying to look up these issues and found out that, no, they had two volumes of new Teen Titans. So maybe they should have called it the new New Teen Titans. Uh, but uh, essentially, uh, these tie issues have some of the heroes going off to fight in the crisis. Uh, and there's also a lot of character stuff going on, and you can get into it a bit, uh, even though, you know, obviously so much has been going on with these characters, uh, you know, leading up to uh, these particular issues. It's not too dense to get it um, uh, involved in, uh, and they do end up, uh, many of them going off to another world to deal with the crisis. So you get to see how crisis isn't just affecting Earth, but obviously the entire universe. Uh, and then there is the breakdown of Steve Dayton, who uh, uh, is known as Mento and was married to Elastigirl, a.k.a. Rita Farr. And the complexity in his relationship with uh, Beast Boy. It's a pretty uh, good comic for what it is. I'll be honest that I did not like these as much as I did the first volume. Uh, in particular, just because you have it start off with these uh, detective comics and Swamp Thing uh, stories that... Uh, are in the midst of their own stories and really just tangentially uh, connect to Crisis. But the Infinity Incorporated stuff was pretty interesting, and I did uh, really like the Legends of the DC Universe special. So this one, uh, somewhat classy. And then we move on to the Thing Classic, uh, Volume 1. And this is a series written by John Byrne, and it replaced Marvel 2-in-1 by giving the thing his own solo series that didn't uh, involve team all the time. Um, and, you know, he was in Fantastic Four for most of it, though there was always a lot of drama. You know, is the Fantastic Four together? Is this changing? Is that changing? But this is kind of a constant of adventures he had between what he was doing with Fantastic Four. I do like the art in this. While John Byrne wrote it, he didn't draw it as he did with so many of the comics he did for Marvel and DC. The pencils were done by Ron Wilson, and he really had a great feel for how these characters should be drawn and look with the thing and his entire family. The series is a bit more introspective in a lot of ways. It starts out with issues that have uh, been Graham telling stories uh, from his life. The first issue has him talking to kids on Yancey Street, trying to set them on the right path, even as they kind of attack him for having left Yancey Street, etc. You know, the typical thing that, you know, they go after the thing for. The next issue... Uh, finds him visiting Alicia Masters, his girlfriend, in the hospital. And he's uh, processing his feelings about a girlfriend who left him in college. And he's gotten a telegram from her wanting to meet him. And he's scared because it's the first time that uh, she's uh, seen him uh, since he became the thing. 
And it actually has a really nice twist when they do meet. But it's not just that. There are some uh, pretty uh, interesting team-ups, like Lockjaw comes to get him and takes him to uh, see the uh, Inhumans. And Crystal of the Inhumans needs uh, his help because... At this point, she is with the speedster Quicksilver, and they had a child who was born a normal human child. And Quicksilver's not satisfied with that at all, and is determined to expose the child to energies to give them mutant powers, because it's like a mutant and an inhuman uh, should not have just a normal child. And uh, Ben Stebbles' behalf to save the baby, but it's actually a lockjaw who talks them down, actually speaks, and indicates that he had been exposed to uh, these energies, and that is what turned him into his form, that he was an inhuman, uh, not uh, a dog. And this is something that Marvel Comics has kind of worked around, because sometimes they want him to be a dog, uh, you know, when you have something like Pet Avenger. So they'll say, yo, somebody using ventriloquism. Except Lockjaw talks at the end when he and Ben are alone and are transporting somewhere. So I don't know how they get around that. Then they help a woman who has a mutant baby. And then, of course, uh, the thing comes under control of the puppet master after the puppet master made a bunch of uh, the thing's friends attack him, including She-Hulk and Spider-Man. We also get the um, assistant editors month issues, which are which were fun because they had this month back in the '80s where the assistant editors took charge of the direction, and all of them, you know, essentially did something wacky and fun. And in this case, you have the thing fighting this character uh, known as Goody Two Shoes, who has these two really big shoes and robbed a bank and. Uh, the way the fight is drawn, it's like they're, you know, ripping up like half the city or something. And it turns out uh, the thing is reading the comic and storms up to Marvel to complain about how they portrayed Goody Two-Shoes as some sort of match for him. Then you have another story of the thing being taken over, this time by an Egyptian sorcerer. It's feels like something that was somewhat ripped off from DC. But you have this Egyptian sorcerer who has stayed alive for thousands of years to make up for a wrong he's done by trapping the spirit of this warrior. And of course, as you would if you were an ancient uh, sorcerer, he became a janitor working at the hospital. And uh, so he is able to transmit the spirit of this warrior into the thing, whose physical uh, appearances change quite a bit so that it's a lot smoother and he's t taller. And people don't actually recognize it's the thing because Alicia's in the room where it happens and they're like, we've got to get the thing. You know, where is he to help us fight this? And she's like, well, but she's able to bring him out of it. And, of course, after her saving his life and bringing him out, in the next issue, you have him really disparaging their relationship, not because of her, but because of him and his feelings 
feelings about his own inadequacies and the fact that he'll always be a monster. And the same thing that she's been hearing for decades, uh, though they do end up not really fully breaking up in this issue, but... Uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on with that that we won't get into. But the story ends with uh, him being drawn off to fight in the secret wars. So overall, this one does leave me with mixed feelings, though a bit more positive uh, than negative. While I think uh, the thing in this book can be a bit mopey and down in the dumps, uh, he has always had that tendency. And there is some interesting character exploration that uh, John Byrne's doing here. Uh, even though some of it can be a little too navel-gazily at times. Uh, yeah, navel-gazily, I've just made that up. Ron Wilson's art is just superb, so I'll, I'll give this one a rating of somewhat classy. All right, well, next week, our classy showcase is actually a modern comic. Our classy showcase next week is Batgirl Volume 5, The Art of Crime. But that will do it for now. Send your comments to ClassyComicsGuy at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at ClassyComicsGuy. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.